So we're going to wrap up this series together uh, about genuine love. And the, the verses that we've rooted this into, if you've got your Bible with you or you've got it on your phone, uh, let's look again at Romans 12 and verses 9 and 10. These are the two verses that we've kind of unpacked together uh, as we've looked at what it looks like to live in genuine love. So it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So let love be genuine. We've said that that means taking off our masks so that we can be seen for who we really are, uh, faults and all. And so I wanted to ask you, how have any of you found living by taking off your mask? How has it been to actually be seen for who you really are? Anybody want to share what you've experienced, maybe during this series or even beforehand, what it's like to take off the mask and be known for what's really going on? Don't all rush at once. Crystal. Well, I was just going to say that in the beginning, when you first do it, it takes courage to begin with. But then when you first do it, it is kind of uh, scary because you don't know how people are going to respond or react. Um, for me personally, always, you know, I... I'm built and wired a little bit differently, so growing up, people always had an image of me the way they thought or, you know, I should be or how I should behave or how I should act or how I should do things. When I finally reached that point where I said, okay, God, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I just want to be who you created me to be. So when you first begin to take off that mask, it's exciting, but it's also really scary because you don't know how people are going to respond. But then when you finally take it off, to be honest, it does you reach a point, you've already reached that point, it doesn't matter how they respond. And there's such a freedom there because now you get to truly be who God's called you to be. And it's, it just becomes so easy because you're not having to perform or do anything to be anything but who you are. That's beautiful. Love it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, taking off the mask is to do with not pretending. And pretending is very energy draining, isn't it? Anybody else want to say anything about... How it is. To Crystal, um, just two words listening to Crystal and just what I was thinking, my first word was scary. But um, as I was listening to her, it puts you in a place of vulnerability. And um, I feel like it leads to another level of humility. I love that wisdom. Vulnerability leads to humility. And actually, humility leads to vulnerability. So the two kind of, there's a, uh, I can't remember what the scientific term for that is, but it's a good cycle. <laughs> the one builds on the other. That's beautiful. I love that. And of course, our desire and our aim as a church family is to be the kind of place where it's safe to be real. Uh, now, you may not want to be fully real with everybody all at once, but at least you can start. All right. Uh, take a step. Um, or in DJ worship analogy, maybe you might actually, you know, move from foot to foot, even though you're a white English boy who doesn't know how to move in time to the music. I'm practicing. I'm getting there. So then the second thing in that two verses is to abhor what is evil. You remember that we, we said we likened that to being very sensitive to what striving smells like. That's evil. 
is trying to do stuff in my own strength. So I wonder, have any of you found yourselves more sensitive to the stink of striving since we've been starting on this uh, this series? You don't have to give us details, but anybody, I have certainly realized, yeah, you know what, here's some striving going on here, and I don't like the smell of it. <laughs> anybody? Yeah? Yeah, I see some nodding. Okay, this is good. And then it says to hold fast to what is good, which we said is like glue, or it's like a wound healing. It's that sense of being stuck into God's love, stuck into God's goodness, and also healing more as we rest in the way God loves us. And, uh, and then it says to love one another with the English Standard Version says, with brotherly affection. But we unpacked that, if you remember. It's all three of the Greek words for the good kinds of love, all rolled into one phrase. So to love one another with unconditional love, uh, with friendly, um, sort of nurturing love, with, with motherly, tender love, all of it rolled into one, where we love one another. And then to outdo one another in showing honor. And uh, I still remember Crystal's reaction when we looked at that verse. She said, this is great. This is wonderful. It says, outdo one another. <laughs> and that was just such a perfect illustration of how I wanted to convey that thought. So thank you, Crystal. How have you been aware, or maybe more aware, of the value of the people around you, the people God has placed in your life? How have you become more aware of their value? as we've been going through this series, has you, have your eyes been opened to the people God has put around you and begun to see them? Do you remember, honor is about seeing the price that people pay. So the people God has put in our lives, they pay a price to be in our lives, don't they? It costs to be available. It costs to be present for someone who may not be as easy to get along with, like me. But there are people God has placed in each of our lives because he wants us to outdo one another in showing honor, in saying, yes, God has put you in my life. God, I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for the role you play. Yes, you rub me the wrong way sometimes, but actually God uses that for good. Have you been aware of that? And I'm not asking you again to give examples, but have you become more aware of the fact that God has put people in your life as we've gone through this together? He's put them there. Even the ones that you don't like. <laughs> oh, I see some facial expressions there that you're thinking of faces. We won't name them in public, but yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Do you remember we linked honor with submission? And we learned that submission is to step into place under authority. Submission is what mean, makes us pull over when the blue lights go on behind us. You step into place under authority. Submission is what gets us to submit our taxes by April 15th. Submission is what gets us to go to the polls and vote. Submission is what gets us to stick with relationships even when they get difficult. Submission is where I make a choice to step into the place that God has designed for me. It's a military term originally to do with getting on parade and being lined up and staying in step. And 
making sure that you are in the place you're designated to be. And we said that as we looked through that, we said we were going to touch on a couple of areas that we needed to come back to. And I'm going to wrap that up this morning, I think. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we talked about the idea of seeking input and feedback. And we also talked about the principle of growing in authority because we're under authority. And we just mentioned those last Sunday. And again, if, you've, if some of you haven't been here for all of these, and so uh, I, they're all on the website, and you're welcome to go back and listen to them because I think it is a valuable thing for us to, to learn from. But as I've been meditating on those two things, that one principle of seeking feedback and input and the second about growing in authority by being under authority, I think I can help us link those two together. So come with me as I, as I follow that. The key thought for what I want us to grasp this morning is that my submission to authority demonstrates and develops my submission to God. So I practice with human relationships what I want my relationship with my Heavenly Father to look like. Or what my Heavenly Father wants my relationship with Him to look like. And although that's my key thought... The first thing that we need to be clear on is that it doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen naturally, does it? None of us submits willingly, at least to start with. <laughs> well, maybe you're all more holy than I am. Some of you are looking kind of blank at me here. It's like, well, no, submission's not a problem, Mark. Well, it is for me. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'll talk to me because the rest of you clearly not uh, got a problem here, but... It's not a, an instant thing, because actually, when we, we're honest, we tend to do what looks right to me, don't we? Yeah? You know, this is what I think I should do, and I'm going to do it, because this is America. <laughs> you know, we fought for independence from those British people, didn't we? And I say we, because I am now an American. I guess I'm still British as well, but anyway, that's... But we tend to do what looks right to us. Which, if you think about it, go back to the very beginning, that's exactly what Eve did when the serpent deceived her. She looked at the fruit and saw, oh, this looks good, it looks like it's going to make me wise, and she gave it to Adam, and both of them disobeyed God. Now, I'm not blaming Eve, we're blaming the serpent, <laughs> the, the sneaky one, but that's exactly what the first humans did. They did what looked right to them, rather than what God had said. And I find in my own life, when I do what feels right or looks right to me, very often I'm not doing what God told me to do. And that's a huge trap. Or oh, here's another one, don't raise your hands, but how many of us like to take shortcuts? <laughs> you did raise your hands, yes, okay. I'm not the only one. We like to be able to make it as easy as we can, don't we? And again, that was all wrapped up in the original sin. This was going to make them wise without having to hang out with God every day. It was a shortcut. But the shortcut is usually a trap. And oh, here's another one. Uh, again, I... If, if it feels like I'm picking on you, A, I apologize because I don't want to, and B, I promise you I'm talking to me, and if it resonates with you, then maybe God's telling you something. 
Just trying to take these pieces of paper out of the back of here. You see, we tend to treat this book as a list of rights and wrongs. And the more I can learn about this book, so I know what's right and what's wrong, the more I can, A, do what's right, and B, tell you what's wrong. Now, if you're going to sign up for the Bible school for that purpose, you're going to be disappointed. Because this is not a book of rights and wrongs. This is not some kind of law manual. This is Torah. And the word Torah means teaching. It's something to meditate on. It's more like a movie where the more you think about it, the more you find depths of meaning. Now, I'm not saying this is fiction, not at all. This is all history and teaching from God that, that enables us to understand God's history of dealing with humanity. But if I read it as just a list of, I've got to do this and I mustn't do that, I'm going to miss it because now I take on myself the ability to know what's right and what's wrong, which we've said many times over is the wrong tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, which is the tree they weren't supposed to be eating from. Okay, we won't follow that. But to see things through my understanding, to know what's right versus what's wrong, and to cut corners and find a shortcut, those are kind of shorthand ways of describing most of the ways that people disobey God in the Scripture. And the way that most of us disobey God, whether intentionally or unintentionally, today as well. Who can think of any examples of, of doing what they thought was right, but it turned out to be wrong? Or, or doing what they saw rather than what God said? We've talked about Adam and Eve, of course, but what other examples? I mean, there's, there's dozens of them in here. But what others can you think of, of where humans did their own thing? I do Uh-huh. Yep. Right. Yeah. So Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, it happened twice actually, twice over. The idiot. He's got such a hot wife, he's scared when they end up in a different place that he's going to get killed because his wife's great. And so he says she's his sister and then gets in. Yeah. Not a good plan. All right. Any others? Yeah, that probably wasn't a great plan, was it? Joseph has a dream. Now, the dream was from God, but what Joseph did with it was, oh, yeah, I know how this is going to work, everybody. Um, start bowing down. Yeah, let's have some, let's have some, some practice at you being my subjects. <laughs> and that didn't go so well, did it? He ended up in a pit. Um, he ended up sold into slavery. He ended up being unjustly accused of sexual abuse. Uh, ends up in jail. Etc. 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 Until God turns it all around in the end. God's very good at turning things around. So if you're very aware of places where you've fallen into the same trap, don't worry. God has actually got an answer, and God will turn it around. We'll get to some good news in just a minute here. But anybody else got one more? Where human beings do what seems right to them, but it's not right with God. 
Aaron and the Golden Calf. Yeah, the, well, goodness me. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. He was definitely not seeing from God's perspective to do that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's the shortcut thing again, isn't it? How many of us have got tired of waiting for God to do what God has told us he's going to do? Hello. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're in the right place this morning. Because actually God's not in a hurry. I'm in a hurry, but God's not. I keep telling God that he's got to get on and do what I want him to do, and then I'm like, oops, no, I don't think I want to go down that path. It's not a good place to go. God wants you and I to operate from what we hear him saying as we're resting in our close relationship with him. Let me say that again. God wants you and I to operate from what we hear him say as we are resting in our close relationship with him. When Jesus was tempted by the enemy in Matthew 4, he said, in response to one of the temptations, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I think you've listened to me often enough to know that there are two Greek words for word. There's the logos, which is where I've heard something and I write it down and it becomes something recorded. It's a recorded word. But then there's the rhema, which is more, it's got that sense of breath to it. It's the whispered word. It's the word, the now word of what God might whisper in my ear as I'm, like John was doing with Jesus at, at the Last Supper, as I've got my head on his chest. It's how God wanted to speak with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the garden before they got it wrong. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every whisper that comes from the mouth of God. We're to be people who learn to listen to God's whisper. I've mentioned the website a few times, but I don't think I've mentioned this recently. We have a little button on there on the front page that's called Resources. And if you go there, you can find pre-recorded teachings, things that are helpful for us to be able to refer to. And there's a whole series on there all about how to hear God's voice and how to hear God's voice accurately. And it's called Intimacy with God because that's God's desire for each of us to learn. So God speaks to us and we learn to listen to him so that we can cooperate with him, so that we can operate alongside of him as he does what he wants to do to bring the kingdom into the world. But if we read the New Testament, we see that God also adds our brothers and sisters into that mix as well. In Ephesians 4, for example, it talks about the body of Christ, the family of God, if you want to put a different label to it. Verse 11 and onwards, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see Paul zeroing in there on the problems we've just talked about where I think I know the right answers, or I've got this Bible verse memorized that tells you you should stop doing what you're doing, or I think that there's an easier way or a shortcut to get to what God wants. All of that Paul talks about with this to and fro, by, tossed around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, I'm not going to unpack the specifics of those five roles, those five gifts, but he says that the, the gifts God gives, well, let me say this, you should find at least a couple of those roles developing in you as God matures you further because they're to equip and to build up the family of God. And I looked up, because I like to do this, you know, I've hung around Crystal long enough that I like to find out what words mean. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal. Crystal's great with the names. I do the Greek words, but <laughs> and she's very good with that stuff too. But when it says to equip the saints, what it means is to prepare someone or to adjust them towards perfection. It's a little bit like when the mechanic tunes your car so that it runs well. Or when uh, somebody clever like Alex can tune the, the detail of the mix of, a, of a, a PA system or a song so that you can hear the detail and you don't miss any of it. It's that kind of sound engineer, mechanic, or doctor making sure that you've got all the right nutrients and treatments and whatever to make your body operate perfectly the way God designed it. So that's what equipping means. It's adjusting us towards perfection. And then when it says for building up the body of Christ, that's carefully constructing a place for God to call home. Did you know that's what he's doing in you? As he changes you step by step, he's creating renovating, if you like, remodeling a life that maybe looks a little bit like a single wide on the road to Georgetown, turning it into something that belongs in the Grand Dunes, a place for God to dwell. He renovates. Sorry, that, that illustration was maybe a little too graphic. But anyway, stick with me. He's renovating us. By giving gifts, look around you, these are the gifts of God to you. People in our church family who know God's voice and are actually willing to share God's wisdom, God's love, God's grace with others. So speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Did you know that speaking the truth in love is actually a verb made out of a noun? We could say truthing. Truthing, we're to grow up in every way into Christ. In other words, what I have 
learned and what God has done in me and how I've grown in my experience of him and the wisdom that can come with that, I simply make that my expression of how Christ has taught me in terms of how I react and interact with each of you. And it's not just me to you, it's you with one another. So you actually don't come here on a Sunday just to listen to me. You come here to interact with one another because God does something with what he's done in you, affects what he's doing in you. What he's done in you can be a blessing to you. He connects us in those ways because we're a body. Just look at your hand and your arm. It's not disconnected. It's connected to the other hand and the other arm and the leg and the toes and and everything in between, right? Those connections are so important because God wants truth to flow just like the blood is flowing around your body right now. We express what has been revealed to us to those around us within the body. It's like the, the circulation of blood. God speaks rhema into your life, you receive it, and then you truth it to somebody else, and they benefit from what God has done in you. That's feedback. Where God has helped you to see something that will be helpful to me. That's feedback, right? The problem with feedback is that Christians are useless at feedback. We come over like this. Sorry, Cynthia, you sat in the front row. but That's not feedback. That's accusation. And you know what? There's already an accuser. We don't need any more. So put that finger away. Don't you point it at your brothers and sisters. However, there are two kinds of feedback that are really helpful. The first is affirming feedback. And I'm going to commission all of you to take a step today in affirming feedback. This is where you encourage someone with something God has shown you in them. Where you tell someone something of God that you see in them. And when you receive that affirming feedback, sometimes it's difficult to receive it because A, it may not be what you think God has caused to shine in your life. People affirm me for being kind. Well, I'd like to be affirmed for being wise. It can be difficult to be affirmed, but it's important we open the door to receive what others see in us that's of God. We may struggle to open that door because of humility. The trouble is mostly it's false humility. I think I've told you the funny story before of the pastor who was standing in the lobby at the end of the service and all the congregation are coming out and thanking him. And this guy comes along and says, Pastor, thank you so much. That was a wonderful sermon. And he was trying to be humble and he didn't receive the compliment. He said, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And the parishioner says, oh, it wasn't that good. So false humility, no, I made it up. 
False humility is pride. Well, that landed hard, didn't it? Let me say it again. False humility is pride. So there's two things about affirming feedback. The first is we need to actually be tuned in to give it. And the second is we need to practice opening the door to receiving it. Right? That will be your assignment at the end. So you can think now, what do I see in somebody else in this room that I could affirm in them? I'm going to give you a minute or three to think about it because I want to talk about a second kind of feedback first off. And that is constructive feedback. Constructive feedback is a little different from affirming feedback because this is where I call someone into greatness. This is where I go to someone and I shine God's light on a better version of themselves than they're currently experiencing. Now, it's very important that this not be uh, a channel for frustration or disagreement. Just because you do life a way that frustrates me does not give me the right to give you constructive feedback to change you. But... It is our duty as brothers and sisters in the family of God to look for ways to build one another up. To call out the greatness that we see in one another in ways that enables us to step out of where we might be already and into something greater. So it's, it's expressing a desire for you to walk in the truth of who you really are. Now, we said that receiving <laughs> affirming feedback can be a challenge. It's even more difficult to receive constructive feedback. When people come to me and say, Mark, I love this about you, but if you could change that, you'd be far more effective in what God has called you to be. Do you know the right way to respond to feedback like that? There's a man who's received constructive feedback, yes. You say, thank you. And you don't say anything else. You say, thank you. Shall we practice? Thank you. One more time. Thank you. Okay, keep practicing, all right? Not right now, but you can keep practicing. Because then I am going to receive what has been said and take it to God. Father, what do you want to teach me through this? Father, what are you showing me through this? Father, do I need to go back and ask for more? <gasps> Please no. <laughs> do I need to go back and ask for more so that I don't miss any of what you want to do in me? Constructive feedback, without explaining, without justifying, without defending, because that closes the door to the feedback. If I will receive it, then I can take it to God and see what he wants to show me, see what he wants to teach me. So there's affirming feedback, and that's what I'm going to give you as your homework. And then there's constructive feedback. That's kind of like the second level, the, the slightly more advanced form. Uh, practice affirming first before you try constructive. But here's a third kind of feedback. 
that is the most powerful of all. It's invited feedback. Because with both of those other feedbacks, we said the challenge for us on the receiving end is to open the door to receive it. Well, if I invite your feedback, now I'm opening the door before you've given me any feedback, and I'm actually, it's the most valuable to me because I'm open to it. Because I'm secure enough in who I am in God that I can ask you to give me feedback. That I can approach others and say, I recognize you, I value you as a person God has placed in my life. What is your feedback for me? What do you see in me? What would you change about me if you could? What do you think I might be missing? Is there anything you see that I'm not hearing and I'm not receiving? Those kinds of things. Do you know what that is? It's submission to authority. Now, I'm not just talking about you've got to do what the pastor says or you've got to listen to your boss. This Submission to authority is much bigger than that. But submission to authority is where I'm willing to receive from the people God has placed around me. It's not just hierarchical where, you know, I'm in charge and you need to do what I say, that kind of approach. It's also situational. You know, you have authority over your own life. You have authority over the choices you make. You have authority over the way that you direct your life. But also we submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. That's Ephesians 5 verse 21, isn't it? We submit to one another. But we grow in authority, and this is the second half, this is where these two link together. We grow in authority when we're under authority. That's what the centurion said to Jesus in Matthew 8, verse 9. He came because he wanted healing for his servant. Or was it his son? Forget. Any, hmm? Servant? Thank you. should have looked it up, but I looked up too many other things and ran out of time. He wants healing for his servant, and Jesus says, yeah, I'll come and heal him. And he says, no, no, you don't need to come because I understand authority. You just speak the word and it'll be done. Because this centurion who's under authority, he's, he's in the Roman system and he knows his place and he has the power to command a hundred men what to do and they must obey. So he understands the power of authority, but he's in authority because he's under authority. He has to do what his commander says, and in the end, he's responsible to Caesar. Well, he sees that Jesus is under his father's authority. So he, all he has to do is issue the order, and the servant will be healed. And, of course, he was. So what I glean from that is that authority flows from position. So if I'm striving for authority like I used to do, I've told you the story when we were in the conference center back in England years ago, and I was basically waiting for my boss to get out of the way so I could take over. And it was all striving, and it was a striving for authority. It was a striving to be recognized. It was a striving to have a title and a position by my effort. When I'm striving for authority, it shows that I lack a position of being under authority. And therefore, I have no authority. The harder I strive to get it, the more I lose it because God didn't structure it that way. The centurion had been given a position by authority over him. 
And he wasn't trying to attain a position. He wasn't trying to prove his authority. He was just living in it. I'm a man under authority. That gives me authority. You, Jesus, are a man under the Father's authority. That gives you authority. Your position as the Son of God gives you all authority. The centurion saw it when so often Christians are hopeless at this as well as at feedback, aren't we? So we rest in our authority as the children of God, especially and maybe more so when we learn to rest in the authority of those God has placed into our lives. And again, I'm not just talking about hierarchy. You know, I am subject to my wife. Somebody say amen. Thank you. That's true in every marriage, Robert. And I know it's true in yours. <laughs> I'm subject to my wife. Now, she's subject to me, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means if she wants something, I'm going to do it, unless I feel God says no, and, and vice versa. I'm subject to our board in terms of leading this church family. If any of our board members feel like I'm doing something wrong, they have the right to tell me, and I actively seek their feedback in order to be under their authority. I'm subject to the leaders in our church family. Different ones of you who are leaders among us in different ways have often come to me and said, I feel like this is, needs to be changed, or I feel like this is something you got wrong, or whatever. I feel like this could be done differently. I'm subject to you to hear and to hear God together so that together we have the benefit of being under the authority of our Heavenly Father. I'm, we're subject to spiritual fathers and mothers, aren't we? You know, you know, Jane and I have a number of spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives that we're subject to. Um, keep praying because I'm really hoping we can get John and Carol Arnott here in February of ne in January of next year uh, because they haven't been able to visit us here. But they would be our number one spiritual father and mother. I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for John Arnott because he saw the potential in me. He made room for me and then he challenged me both to step out further than I would have ever stepped out myself, but also he challenged me on areas where I wasn't doing it the way that God would want me to do it, so I could change how I did it, so I could learn from his example, and I've grown because of that. So who has God placed in authority in your life? Just think of them for a moment, and I say them, I trust that there are plenty of people that God has placed into some form of authority in your life. In fact, let's pause before we close and just say, God, would you remind me of those people? Who have you placed in my life for me to be under authority in my relationship with them? And as he shows you faces and reminds you of names, ask him this question. Father, what's one step I can take 
to benefit more from that relationship? What's one thing I can do right away that will cause me to grow? It's one thing to hear what he's saying. (laughs) Then the next thing is I actually have to have the courage to do what he's saying. And so I want to bless you to have that courage to take a step further in your relationship with those who God has placed in your life. Let me be real for a second. It's challenging to talk about this kind of stuff when you're the pastor of the church because it sounds like I'm trying to get you all to do what I say. I'm not. I want the best for you and I'm sharing with you what God has done in our lives to bring us into that best place. Because God wants church families, plural, not just this one, but all of the local church families and around the world. He wants us to be so secure in our identity as his children that we can honor those around us, whether they know Jesus yet or not, where we can submit to authority even in the world and so that we can actually only do what Father is saying in our interaction with those who haven't yet come to know him. Because too often the church has come over, like, like we said before about correction and, and admonition, we've come over as pointing fingers and us being right and you being wrong, and that doesn't build the kingdom. We're not going to show other people that they're loved by God until we can also show them that they're loved by us. Now, I'm not suggesting that we say everything is fine. No, if I love you enough, I'm going to point out where something is unhelpful to you. But there has to be a bridge built first. You can't drive a 10-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. (laughs) Thank you for confirming that, Ida. (laughs) She knows what she's talking about. (laughs) We have to build the bridge first before we drive the truck over it. So can we stand together? I want to pray for all of us to receive a greater revelation of our position in God and our identity in God. Yeah. Father, who we're meant to be depends so much on me understanding, each of us understanding who you are to us and who we are to you. So I'm asking for each of our hearts to receive a deeper revelation that you are our Father and you love us just as we are, yet you also love us too much to leave us where we are. 
And so I want to give you permission, Father, to do more in my life, to touch my heart more deeply, to bring me into the freedom that comes from being in right relationship with you and right relationship with those you've placed in my life. Let there be that sense of rest that can only come when I know that I am your child. So that my love can be genuine. No pretending, no masks, no striving. But simply reflecting the love I receive from you to those around me. So thank you, Father, that you keep moving us forward. That you keep pouring in more of your love. And that you're never going to stop bringing us into the likeness of Jesus through our interactions with one another and as we listen to your voice. Sense that God is speaking to all of our hearts in specific ways this morning. So, Father, I bless what you're saying to each of your children. Let each one of us know the next step to take as we grow in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So your homework is affirming feedback. You could start by looking around the room and finding one thing to say to somebody else that you see of God in them. And then you could invite them to give you feedback either now or next time you meet. And that might be affirming feedback for you, or it might even be constructive feedback. Let's go to the advanced levels in this. By opening the door, we're getting ready for what God wants to do. If any of you have feedback for me, I'd welcome it. And if I'm not careful, that feedback will be that I go on too long. So we'll be closed here. Have a great week. We'll see you back again next Sunday. God bless you.